You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your illustrious leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and Rick. And actually, this episode, we're joined by a special guest. His name is Alex of the Radcliffe Clan. He runs a YouTube channel called Board Game Co. And he has lots and lots of cool games in his video background that none of you will get to see. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. And if you want, we can pivot this entire episode and just talk about the games in my background. They're, they're there for a reason. We I'll tell you a... what, I only want to talk about board games. It, it, it's board games are are fun it's it's something odd about this hobby that they're they're just it's like we found a hobby that's just full of fun stuff to do and then we decided we like those fun things and we paid a lot of money for those fun things continue to pay a lot of money for those fun things and lots of people just like doing fun things in this fun thing space i i concur 100 percent. i can't find anything to argue with just replace fun with expensive and that that, that makes a lot of sense oh we don't talk about expensive and what about storage where do you store all this stuff i mean is it is your entire house just walls of games so one of my favorite lines is and it's actually it's it's actually my wife's line about yarn because she has a whole she does a lot of stuff with <laughs> yarn but she showed me a picture once where it's like this you know guy and guy and girl or husband and wife whoever it is and it's like it's like see i told you i could t- i could fit all my yarn in one box and the husband's like stop calling our house a box <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so i use that about board games now yep <laughs> that's so awesome i my best made out of board games backricket recently announced that they are going to be entering the crowdfunding space. They've been in the pledge manager space for a long time. I personally use them for my crowdfunding project deliverance. And I, I know many others. We've done a lot of marketing to Backerkit and you know over the years, and they're pretty well entrenched in that space. And now they've moved into crowdfunding. So that's what we're going to discuss. But first things first, let's get back to board games. And actually, we'll start with Alex. Would you introduce yourself to everybody that may not be familiar with who you are? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Alex Radcliffe from the YouTube channel Board Game Co. I've been in the board game space since I want to say 2011, passionately exploring it in different ways. I started a YouTube channel around 2019, started having a lot of fun being able to talk about board games because because I, I like board games. I think we've been clear about the whole fun things part of stuff. Uh, recently, I've been dabbling in other stuff, starting my, my getting a little more regular content on my Instagram, started doing Twitch content uh, with Professor Meg over on Camp Co-op, just continuing to dabble in, in the space in just different ways because... Well, we, we've talked about the fun things, I think. Yeah. And uh, you basically did all of this because you have an opinion. Yes. Right? Oh, I have many opinions. There's nothing I don't have an opinion about. <laughs> I can't wait to talk <laughs> about our, our topic at hand. But but first of all, what's what's on your table right there? So on my table, speaking of Twitch and Camp Co-op, uh, about an hour and a half ago, I was playing Resident Evil 3 from Steamforge Games over on Twitch. I've been slowly going through the campaign. One of the nice things that I use Twitch for is it forces me to go through the campaigns because it's like, I want to finish this anyway, but now I have a schedule and people are mm-hmm. waiting there for it to happen. So these mm-hmm. campaign games that I keep otherwise pushing off actually get tabled. I won, fortunately. I also won okay. without killing any dogs, which was a, tr- a request from chat. They, they like okay. the dogs. They didn't want the zombie dogs dot dead. Wow. Usually <laughs> Resident Evil, I run around without any handgun ammo because it's all been lost and I've yep. got my knife. Yeah. So that's it. why I accommodated the request for the dogs because I, I want the ammo anyway. So like, hey, if it makes chat happy, it will make chat happy. <laughs> so okay. I was just going to ask, uh, have you played the video games before or watched the movies? Or what, what's your involvement besides the board game in Resident so- Evil? 
the movies I've watched the original series of movies. I have not watched the newest one that just came out, but all the the, the original series I, I think I watched most or all of them. Uh, they're lots of fun, not necessarily good movies, but fun movies. As far as the video games went, I dived into the some of the video games here and there a bit, but never really fully finished any of them. I, I did play the Oculus VR one. They had a whole virtual reality one. Dove into that briefly. Had some fun with it, but for me, really, it's uh, it's it's a good. I'm more into the board game right now. So here's the key question now, since you've, you've watched some of the, the videos, I'm sorry, the, the movies, and you've played the video games, how would you compare this board game? I think it does a good job translating the general feeling of the series, the feeling of you kind of have zombies, you have to kill the zombies, but it's not quite so easy. It's more about the tension. It's more about managing, navigating, all that stuff. I think it overall, like the ammunition conservation is a big deal, the save points with the the, 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 record, the typewriters, all that thing. It does a really good job capturing the feel at a very high level. So is it is it a board game trying to mimic the video game or... Is it sort of its own unique experience? Because you just said save points. Um, that sort of reminds me of like, you know, video game play like Mario. <laughs> the save points aspect is you have a tension deck that's slowly running out. And the only way to, there's a few ways to die. You can actually die. Or you can run out of time. But whenever you get to a tape recorder, so to speak, a typewriter, not a tape recorder. When you get to a typewriter, you have the opportunity to refresh that timer. So it sort of acts like a save point. It's a sort of like a mimicking the idea, the concept. Is that game yet to be released? I mean, Steam Forged. Is coming out with this on a crowdfunding so site, like they have a few. They they had Resident Evil Two uh, initially. Uh, that was the first one that they did, which came out a while ago. Then they had Resident Evil Three, which is the one on the table that came out. And then, because of course, they then went to Resident Evil, the original. Uh, after that, and that that's the most recent one they've done. The Resident Evil Three and the newest one have some overlap, uh, but I think Resident Evil I prefer more because the layouts aren't known in advance. You uncover them as you go. So it has a lot of similarities, but some tweaks, some changes, some cool bosses. I've played Resident Evil Three and well, the newest one, one. I have skipped two. And I'm very much looking forward to one. So how do you feel about a, a game company that keeps releasing like the same type of game over and over? Like, you know, they've, you know, they've done quite a few Resident Evil games in the past. They're doing another one again. Is it something, is this, is the excitement still there or how do you, how do you view these kind of games that just keep releasing new versions so of their game? Everything's going to be a little different. Like the two, I think things that come to mind are going to be Zomicide and Resident Evil offhand. There's multiple, but just once we're on the subject, but Resident Evil to me, I view it more as a campaign a journey. It's not the kind of thing I'm going to replay when I'm done. So I don't mind going through the 14 missions I have on the table over here, finishing them off and then packaging it up, selling or trading to the next person. And then when I get the new one, I'll go through that. And if they have another one after that, I'll go through that. If I'm still interested, as long as I am, but then you have something like Zombicide from Come On, which is a different kind of uh, pathway there for me i'm looking for the perfect system so i just keep taking whatever the newest one is trying it out seeing which one i like the most and treating that as my go-to i don't mind iteration i don't mind innovation development and tweaking you'll have people who swear by one game versus another whenever you have these duplicates or sequels or third versions or fourth versions i don't mind yeah i like the concept it just uh, depends on who you are Do you and what prefer you're for. having new versions of the game released as opposed to having like expansions or vice versa? My default probably drifts towards expansions, but I'm fine with both. I like how uh, Zombicide does the standalone expansion really well. You know, yeah. it's like the, you can play Captain America in the original Zombicide now, but at the same time, it's its own self-contained game. It makes it very easy to sell uh, yes. to a new person. Whereas the expansion, you have to have the base game and that sort of thing. Yeah, for me, I think the uh, the the new releases would be a harder sell for a person like me. I prefer to buy a game for keeps, and then I I just you know it's like in fact I don't know if you can see in in my video screen there's a very very little box on top of my bookshelf there. It's a 
Back to the Future board game. I only got it because it's Back to the Future. I have not opened it or played it. I think the reviews are pretty mediocre, but I like yeah. it. So That's what I did with Trogdor. I so, bought Trogdor. Trogdor's pretty good, though. Yeah. but I like I, the feeling of ownership. I just, it's Trogdor the Burninator. <laughs> but I, I love the feeling of ownership. Ownership's, you know, you actually own a piece of something. Like it's it's yours. You know, it's un, unlike soft, uh, unlike computer software of, of today's century, where even though you bought it, it's technically a license and they can revoke it anytime. This is like you buy it, you get it, it's yours. So the, the question I have, Alex, is how do you keep your kids out of that room? Is it like barricaded? Do you have like padlocks? Oh, what's no. the key? So I, I think it's just they grew up with this stuff. They know the rules. Like my my just to get my interesting one is my my kids my. I have a 10 and I always get the ages wrong. So if my wife listens to this, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure I have 10, nine, seven, and almost three, like very shortly three in like a few days or something. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, so that's the, the ages I have. And my three-year-old is interesting because it's a big gap. There's a four-year gap between him and his young, older siblings. And he just spent his entire life growing up watching my kids interact with the games in a, in a different ways. So like, I'll have like, friends who like will bring over a kid or something like that and then once in a while it doesn't happen often once in a while i'll come downstairs and like some kid just took four games off the shelf and opened them up and dumped the contents because why not it's a oh. it's a, board, a bunch of board games happens very infrequently but it has happened my kids will never do that they, they've just watched how you interact with things i can literally have a game set up on the table and i don't have to worry about my kids ever touching it they know how to interact and how to play with it look they'll, they'll ask me they'll be like oh we've got a bunch of miniatures on the table can we play with them i'll be like well in the middle of this game let me set up another one for you you can play with them they know the rules they know the interactions but it's all just from growing up around it to me it okay. sounds like the, the plot from the the lego movie yes yes it is i am the horrible person who you can't play with my toys but, but actually it's funny you say because like that that is the reason i specifically do let my kids play with my games uh and is the reason i all sit there i'll unbox my newest massive darkness from command 400 dollars worth of like deluxe miniatures and the next day i'll be on the table and they'll be playing with the miniatures it's really just repressed the uh, trauma from my childhood where my father collected fire trucks he had a collection of fire trucks that he had and we weren't allowed to play with them and as a kid, I remember I was like, why can't I play with these 40 amazingly beautiful metal fire trucks? They just look like the best toys ever. And we couldn't. They were his fire truck collection. And like I just I remember that feeling and that memory. And I was like, I will not do this to my children. Don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not like tra- traumatized or anything. But I was like, I just had that memory. I was like, if I have something that looks like a toy, they should be able to play with the thing that looks like a toy. My dad was the same with pocket watches. And uh, then I grew up and he gave me a pocket watch and I'd broken it twice. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> And that is why you're not allowed to play with other people's things. It's quite important, I think, as a super duper hardcore gamer dad to not just silo my hobby to myself, but to actually, it really is kind of an investment into anybody to teach them how to play games, but especially kids that are just learning math and things like that. Like, you know, I, I now I'm starting to buy games specifically with the intention of playing with the kids. We got Fantastic Factories uh, the other nice. day, which is nice. it's kind of like terraforming Mars without all of the terraforming Mars, just the combo building in, of the card play. And uh, that's been really fun. But my nine-year-old was able to to play and have a blast and, you know, actually beat me at it. it was, you know, it's like kind of she was cheating. Bored a tear to your eye. She was cheating. Made her sleep outside. Anybody with a family, it should be, you know, if you love board games, I think that it should be everybody's aim to eventually have this epic game night where like when you get massive darkness 10 from come on when you're like 90 years old and um, (laughs) you know, your kids are all grown up, like everybody like plays and, you know, picks their characters and stuff like that. That's my dream. Like I just want, 
all my kids to be hardcore board gamers with me and that we can play and have a fun time together, you know? Can't wait to destroy him inside, you know. So, Alex, do, do your kids play games with you, or they do they prefer doing other things? Oh, absolutely. They, they different degrees to for each one of them. I have, like I said, I have four of them. My youngest at this point just likes seeing board games and saying "want to play," which means the components, and that's it. But the the older three, they they, I would say, my oldest play loves playing specific games. She's very much a reader, though, so she's just as happy being on the couch reading a book. But well, certain games, she's like, I want to play that one. Very excited, very happy. Middle one's probably the least so, but still wants to play certain games he likes to be involved but he he's likes to, he's very much into the lego and all that speaking of which and then my youngest or not youngest youngest but my youngest before my youngest i guess uh he's the one who's completely obsessed and will play absolutely anything and everything's the best game ever but they'll they'll definitely sit down we'll table stuff we have fun like you said it's absolutely an investment you know you're choosing to do something that's less fun because you're doing it with them and you're teaching them and you're spending time with them but it's it's mm-hmm. worth it every time so uh yeah let's let's get into our topic at hand you know we, we wanted to talk about this new announcement from backer kit where they are entering the crowdfunding space and we already have kickstarter who's the 800 pound gorilla in the room we have GameFound, which is you know has made a i would say a pretty good impression on a lot of people and now we have backer kit who has just an, just simply made an announcement that they'll be entering into the space i'm very curious as to your guys thoughts on this and Really, I guess the goal of this podcast is just simply going to be to explore and, and talk about what you guys think the future holds for crowdfunding. So um, offhand, offhand, like I just I just saw this announcement. I don't know how much all of you know, but I, I just know literally what's been the, the, the bare minimum posts that have been out there. Uh, but instinctively with any of these things, I'm skeptical off the bat. And I was skeptical with GameFound as well. I was like, okay, great. Someone's coming after Kickstarter. Good luck with that. But then I saw what GameFound was doing. Before it even launched, I saw the specific aspects, the challenges they were trying to address, the ways they were trying to sit and say, here's a problem we're trying to solve, and here's how we're going to solve it. And I started becoming excited even before they launched their first campaign. With BackerKit, I'm not yet there because I don't yet know what they actually plan on doing. What problems are they trying to solve? Who's their target audience? Every time you do one of these things, you're further fracturing the space, which makes it harder for any individual platform to to hold an appeal. We see this with streaming all the time of like, you know, just streaming consistently fracturing. Yeah, it used to be just Netflix. It was amazing. And there's actually the fascinating side conversation is the nature of the decline in piracy when Netflix became started dominating the world. And as it became more and more difficult to actually have a singular source, piracy is back on the rise again because it's just too much work. And and that's, I don't know how you don't really have piracy with board games. It's kind of just a side conversation. But with yeah. Backerkit, the only thing that gives me any real confidence is the fact that they have a lot of big names behind it. They have Cephalofair, they have Leader Games, they have a bunch of other companies who are like, our next campaigns are on Backerkit, which means yeah. if those companies are, are smart, and many of them are, they must have seen something. What do they see? What technology do they see? What, what do they know is coming that gives them the confidence that we're going to compete a third time over? Technically, it's a fourth time over. There's also on Tabletop that dabbles in it to a degree, but not hasn't taken the same exact space that Kickstarter and GameFound have. I, I, I'm skeptical while acknowledging the fact that Companies with a lot more to lose than my sideline skepticism are seemingly investing their own future and confidence into this. And that has right. me very curious. I, I have some concerns, it's speculative, but I, I suspect that they've been able to get those publishers with a significant discount. And the, the danger is that if they launch on back this new backer kit platform and they don't do particularly well, or they don't do as well as they could have done on Kickstarter, it's going to forever harm the reputation of that platform 
So I think there's a high risk of this not really working in their favor. I hope it does. I don't wish them well, but I do think it's challenging. And as you said, I don't really see anything in their marketing messaging so far, which says, hey, this is unique and this is why you should invest in this. I kind of see sort of just blanket statements of here's our philosophy, uh, better every time, you know, kind of things which we can't really look into or see. But uh, in terms of actually looking at the projects at the moment, they seem to have taken a lot of pointers from GameFound and, and integrated them into their system. So they have innovated upon Kickstarter, at least. I agree with you, Sean. I believe the publishers are getting something out of it because I've seen from 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 previous uh, crowdfunding attempts from other publishers, when they switch over platforms, they take a big hit. And there's a, you know, there's a big risk of taking that big hit. So there's got to be some kind of incentive going on there. But I think also we're now at the time where it's like copycat. We're at the age of a copycat now. You know, sort of like how Netflix came out. Then there was a couple other ones. Um, now everyone's got their own streaming service. And like you said, now now you can't get it all in one spot. You have to, you know, choose your platforms. I think I'm on like six uh, streaming platforms just to get what I want. Um, you know, and you know, like you said, and then, you know, piracy has gone up because of that as well. I think we're at that point now in the crowdfunding niche that, uh, you're going to see a lot of copycat pop-ups where people are like, oh yeah, I know I, you know, it could be like, you know, sort of like backer kit. They do, they did one aspect and now they they're doing this one. And we've also noticed, uh, you know, I think Sean brought this up before that a lot of companies are now going for like the all in they want, they want to be able to, to do every single aspect of your project as opposed to just you know featuring a one and i mean that that can have its it's it's good good things but also on the same thing it could be very detrimental when it can when that one company controls every aspect of your crowdfunding campaign i'm of the mind that you can't just simply enter into this space without planning in advance i would i would wager that backer kit has been planning this for a while ever since they saw the success of GameFound, and i think that beyond that because of GameFound as kind of a case study from an investor's perspective, I think that it would be relatively easy to get investors on board because I think BackerKit at this point, they have a company of, I, I don't know, 20 to 40 people that work for them. I think that they need to be profitable. They can't, they're, they're not going to have like tons of money to invest into really turning their, you know, pledge manager into a full crowdfunding platform. I do. Th I, I would wager that there are some that are considering investment or have invested or have committed to invest into Backerkit and you know some major games companies. Just like Ravensburger invested into GameFound, I think you know. And then of course you've got the Castles of Burgundy, which I managed to resist. I I really wanted to back it, but I decided not to hold. I'm gonna hold, I'm holding out uh, for a few other projects. But I think that uh, Ravensburger investing into a crowdfunding platform, that's an excellent way for a large company like that to diversify and really try to capture more market share and whatnot. But um, there are other companies out there like, you know, come on and, and many others that use exclusively Backerkit for their pledge manager. In fact, I was talking with the CEO of come on, we we're basically best friends. <laughs> and um, he said that they have a contract with Backerkit. And so in his view, it was that you know, Backerkit is not going to be a fly-by-night, one-and-done, you know, short thing, but it's it's a serious competitor because of the inroads that they already have with publishers. And I think that you know they're able to just dial the CEOs of uh, big companies 
and say, hey, look, this is what we want to do. Are you on board? And maybe they've offered incentives. I, I would wager to say some of the companies that will use them are certainly getting incentivized to use them. I think that it's, you know, it's my belief that Kickstarter in and of itself doesn't actually get much organic traffic for board games on its own, aside from all of the giant companies and small companies, all of those email lists going in, you know, uh, sending emails out to Kickstarter or to uh, their fans, advertising their Kickstarter project and Facebook ads that other companies are bringing people to Kickstarter. All of that, I, I kind of feel like is a user driven, not naturally somebody looking for, oh, what are, what are the latest board games out? I'm going to Google it and find find Kickstarter as the top link or whatever. I, I kind of feel like Kickstarter is top of mind at the moment because all of the large companies and their email lists and ads are letting people know Kickstarter is a top dog and it could switch really quick. I think another thing that BackerKit has that you know you mentioned in the with publishers, well, they have a user base, right? They've got pretty much every board gamer's email and address so they're on their system. So the integration in that capacity is is going to be fluid. And then also as a means of marketing, they can just do email blasts, right? If people have signed up for notifications from them. So there's, there's a potential for this. I think that's what they're going to leverage. But will it work? That's the, the question that we'll want to know. <laughs> and I'm curious how they do that, because I know that with GameFound, GameFound saw a lot of pushback initially when they were using their own platform to like have banner ads for their own campaigns, to send emails out to people. They definitely saw pushback on that. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. But to me, the thing that I find most interested is what you said about the potential that other companies are actually investing in them. Like, did you mean like actual financial investment, hypothetically? I think so. I think it's a really great opportunity for a company to to invest because, you know, in order to build out like a, a crowdfunding side of backerkit.com, mm -hmm. you're going to need uh, programmers, like serious resources devoted to just that. And I think with their existing staff, they might be able to get some of that. But really, I mean, I could see them scaling another 10 developers immediately um, with an investment and then really being ready to do this in a few months with you know, so it just seems to me like you would need a whole lot more development assets to, to get this thing done. Or yeah. it's been on, you know, going on behind the scenes for a long time. No, that part makes sense to me because I, I just math wise, I mean, what are you going to give people like a 5% cut on their rate or whatever it is? It's just like if you're talking about like Gloomhaven, you're talking about leader games. These are companies that run million dollar campaigns. The fact that they're willing to dive in there, to me, almost the only thing that does make sense is if they're also investors in the platform because – I mean, I'm not saying they are, aren't I? I have no idea, but just the math. Like uh, the nice thing about GameFound they had going for them is they were able to launch ISS Vanguard as the first campaign on GameFound. They said, "We're going to take the hit. This is our platform. This is our our ship to lose money in. We're going to go ahead and show you this can be successful." But like Backerkit doesn't have that. They have someone else who has to jump on that ledge and say, "Yeah, let's take our you know multi-million dollar Gloomhaven miniature campaign and see how it does." I I don't know how it does. I mean, someone's got to be confident because I'm certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. And when you bring out the point about planning, I think these companies have been planning for at least seven months because that's when, you know, Kickstarter really started pushing um, its blockchain announcement. Yeah. Maybe we could also discuss that for people who aren't like for me, I'm not big into crypto or blockchain. I have no idea what their announcement means. And are they actually following following up on their like, are they actually doing this yet? Or maybe someone who has more knowledge can can tell our, our listeners uh, like what's what's going on with Kickstarter? This is how the timeline went. 
they were like, hey, everyone, we're going to invest in blockchain. And then all the backers were like, but wait, we don't even have threaded comments yet. And the CEO is <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to resign and spend more time with my family. And uh, there, and here we are. It's honestly a fairly concise and accurate description. <laughs> what's what's For those who may not know, what's blockchain? So I can only partially explain blockchain. Uh, if anyone wants to take over from me, feel free. Uh, but blockchain is basically just the current, it's, it's, the, it's the system that crypto is built on. People often hear blockchain, they think crypto, which aren't the same thing. Blockchain is more the idea that you just have a constant ledger of something, whatever that something might be. It's information stored on the, the hub of everything. Uh, so the reason crypto works on blockchain is because you can't alter the blockchain. You can't mess the blockchain, which is not entirely true. That's a longer conversation. You could mess the blockchain. It's just significantly more complicated as far as what you have to do to actually get it done. But it, it, it's just, it's I don't understand blockchain enough to understand why you'd move Kickstarter to blockchain and what the advantages are. Uh, from everything I know with the blockchain, is it's slow and resource intensive and doesn't actually have that many benefits past the the hype of the keyword at the moment. Not to say it won't in the future. Everything that that's ever done well has always had. I mean, you could find you can find clips on the internet of people making fun of email. Oh, you have an email account like that will ever be a thing. So like, listen, I'm not saying it won't be a thing. I am saying that right now it's flush with problems. Okay, particularly when it's used a particular protocol, which was the Cello protocol, which is inseparable from mobile devices. So I think their their plan was to make Kickstarter more accessible to mobile devices in regions, other other regions of the world where Kickstarter currently isn't available. So I think that was their, their goal and mission with it. But as Andrew pointed out, there's all these other features that people requested before doing something like that, which is, I suppose, like a huge infrastructure change and then when you when you look into the seller development who's actually behind it which players are investing in it they're not the nicest players in the world i suppose so there might be some skepticism on that on that front as well <laughs> so kickstarter made this announcement and then now a lot of people who don't agree with the idea of blockchain or agree with where kickstarter wants to go the future of the company is now flocking which, you know, that's why I think a lot of these are now popping up. These other companies are now doing crowdfunding that weren't and may have not initially planned to do it because of this, because it's an opportunity for them. But um, has Kickstarter actually implemented any of this? Is there anything going on? Are they, you know, working on it at all? Or just it was just the announcement and that was it? Yeah, it's the announcement and then there was such kickback. I think they just stepped away from it. So I think it's on an indefinite hold for the time being. Right. And... So there are some things that are happening on the back end of uh, of Kickstarter. So the first thing is the I think the real reason that people got upset about the blockchain technology announcement wasn't because anybody actually understands blockchain. I would say that it was because people were like, "Hey, you have a HTML 1.0 platform experience," and you're talking about blockchain, but there are all of these basic features that we've craved for such a long time. And board games do anywhere from 30 to 40% of the business that happens on Kickstarter on a yearly basis. So why are we like so neglected? And yet you're willing to invest resources in this blockchain technology. And I, I think that Kickstarter has, you know, through poor leadership, they have opened themselves up to other competitors. Yeah. And I think that you would never see GameFound if there were things like threaded comments and integrated stretch goals. Or referral codes that you could create before the campaign goes live. That would be great. That's a big one. Yeah, or even landing pages that you, you know, I mean, I feel like there are so many opportunities that Kickstarter had or even pledge manager services. It's like you would see a massive drop. I mean, you would not actually 
have any competitors at the moment if Kickstarter became its own pledge manager. They would be the market leader. GameFound would not have been able to build Steam as it did. BackerKit would not have been able to build Steam as it did. And you would have um, Kickstarter as kind of the dominant force there preserving their market share. But, you know, for whatever reason, they decided not to do that. And here we are. But they had many years where they were the only name in town. And even still, they're the 800-pound gorilla. But it's like um, Netflix right now. You know, Netflix used to be the 800-pound gorilla. And I think they still are the top dog. But then they made various blunders and other large competitors announced their entrance into the streaming space. And now we've got, you know, everybody's either spending on four different streaming platforms or at least rotating. Right. I mean, the good news about Netflix though, is they actually produce their own content. So they're sort of safe in, in a way. Cause I know a lot of companies, you know, like they used to have everything. And then as soon as these, these individual companies like Disney and whatnot decided to do their own platforms, they pulled all their content off of Netflix. So I think Netflix's saving grace is actually, you know, investing in itself and making its own product that people enjoy. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just becoming diluted. Yeah. There's always the top dog, but then after a while you'll have a couple of people make some other platforms. Like I'd say like Disney, if, if it's not number one, it's number two, we'll come in and do theirs. And then all of a sudden you'll have like everyone doing it. And I think that's where we're, we're almost at that point with the crowdfunding platforms. I think right now we have like the top, you know, we have the top dog and now we have a couple companies that are coming in there. They're also going to be pretty big. And then as soon as that hits and they're both, if, if uh backer kit becomes successful, I think, all of a sudden we're going to have like all these new like fly-by-night platforms are just going to come out. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's actually a great point about the content aspect because GameFound is in that position with Awakening Realms constantly and Awakening Realms Lite constantly having campaigns that will come out. They're going to have multiple campaigns a year driven just by their own content. So I think it helps. So Alex, in, the ter- in terms of GameFound's ability to create referral links, has that changed the dynamics of board game reviews for yourself? Because you can obviously create a link and a video that happens before something actually is published or made live on GameFound, and that can be tracked. Yeah, I don't think it really changes anything for myself. It changes something for their end, or if I had some sort of marketing referral aspect, that would change the conversation. Uh, for me, it's it has GameFound has I would say a bigger impact has had on me is the fact that they have a pre page up on a regular basis. So there's often more information there that I can look at before the campaign even starts. So I'm able to like say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's some pledge levels. Here's some this. There's a lot more informational aspect. Uh, the link itself, I mean, Kickstarter does have their pre-release, uh, you know, what's it called, links to the actual thing. The the details of the link itself doesn't really change much from what I'm doing and how I'm interacting with the content. I was just w- wondering if you had some type of agreement with publishers that. You get a percentage of referrals, for example, if you know backers came through your link. Yeah, so I had one company one time reach out to me to offer me something like that, and I I said that I wasn't something I was currently interested in. Uh, my concern is that there's already enough conversations around bias and this and that in the in the board game space, and with me covering Kickstarter campaigns on an act on a, on a regular active basis, I I'm very wary of potentially having to like you know disclaim, hey, by the way, this campaign that I'm talking about in this video and how I'm telling you it's a totally good awesome back and all that stuff. Also, I get money when you buy it. So like for me, the trade-off isn't worth it unless you're talking about uh, – because it's not bias I'm worried about. It's the perception of bias. So you mm-hmm. put enough money on the table, and then I'll, I'll deal with the perception of bias. But like I, I definitely don't want to do it for anything small, and I'm very mindful of that type of conversation. I think the impact it'll have will be more towards the people who are you know interested in having uh, people review their games because they can see – they can track to see 
how well the video is converting to sales on their end, which may affect future purchases. So I can see maybe in a long term, this can be uh, something that may affect uh, affect people, you know, and and doing YouTube, you know, reviews and game reviews and whatnot. But I don't think there's an immediate effect right now until more data is collected. And Alex, you have an obligation to tell people according to the YouTube terms of service yeah. that if you're receiving something that you have to disclaim that. That's not the case on other video sites, though. So, for example, like Facebook, they don't have that as part of their terms of service. So you could there's there's an avenue for. I know there was some controversy of this happening, like Facebook groups, for example, people posting things and is this promotional or not. But there's a different terms of service. So theoretically board game creators could create content on Facebook using Facebook videos and they wouldn't have to have those disclaimers, right? Well, in America, though, um, we do actually have some governmental laws that state now, like the FCC now has some regulations that state if you are, if, if you monetarily gain in any way of promoting something, you have to say it. Um, whether or not the platform okay. says that or not. Um, like, for example, if you go to a, if you go to like a, an affiliate website, um, this is I do a lot of affiliate marketing, so this is discussed all the time. If you go to a site and you have Amazon links to Amazon products that where you you're an Amazon affiliate and you get a kickback, you have to somewhere on that page that you're promoting that Amazon link to say that you know you may make money from this transaction. Because a lot of people will do that. They'll they'll write these reviews of of products that may or may not be true or not, and they slap on a link to Amazon and they make money. And the FCC does not like that. And so there are some regulations out there regarding where that's why YouTube d- does it because they're following regulations. I mean, it'll, it'll catch up, I think, across on all platforms in the near future. But literally, if you're promoting something where you can you you monetarily benefit from it, you have to say that you do. But it'll only matter if you make enough money for the government to go after you. Yeah, for <laughs> me, I'm much more I'm much more worried about the person who clicks on a link, realizing it's a referral link, and then starts a conversation in like 13 Facebook groups about how Board Game Co is making money off his thingies. And I'm like, hey, this controversy wasn't worth it for the $14 I made this week. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. that's um, the perception of bias is is a huge a huge deal. It, funny enough, it reminds me of World of Warcraft. The back in beta. There used to be this, uh, so you would gain 50% of the experience uh, for killing a monster or whatever, a mob. And But then, you know, you would go into an inn, you would log out, and then you would log back in. You would get rested experience. And mm-hmm. what that would allow is to you would gain 100% of the experience um, up until your rested experience was all consumed. And uh, it was kind of, in, in a way, kind of an incentive to actually log out for the day. And that, that was what they kind of wanted to do. And they got such backlash. People were so upset because I'm not getting 100% of the experience unless you make me log out and I'm mad. So in a patch update, they changed it to 100 and then rested would be a bonus of 200, 200% experience and their complaints ceased. And it was literally the same thing. It was just the perception of you're penalizing me for playing the game more versus uh yeah 100 i get a boost yeah yeah it's 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 yeah it's all about perception because like if you watch or listen about a review about a you know game or whatever that they don't have any monetarily interest that's completely different than someone who can definitely benefit from you know doing a review where they get something kicked back and that's like i said that's the whole reason why these these regulations and 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 laws are coming into place like for, for example like even on like commercials on tv these days you'll see like oh this is a paid actor or this is a, a person portraying 
this person's actual problem, but it wasn't them. You know, it's they have they legally now have to say those things because they don't want to give you know, you're not you're not you may be providing a false representation of something because of your monetarily involvement. I remember the controversy over a subway having footlongs that were like, you know, shy a few inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's funny about that is the way they got by that is that they said that footlong, which is actually in their in their world, it's a one word. It's not foot long. It's foot long. And it's a registered trademark. And it has nothing to do with the size. Wow. <laughs> because it's, it's, not, it's not two words. It's not a foot long sandwich. It's a foot long. And it's a registered trademark. And that's just that's just their trademark for their product. And it has nothing. And they say it is, it's not foot long. It's foot long. And yeah, how do they get around like no tuna in the tuna? Uh, so far, they're, I think they're winning that case uh, because okay. the cup, the manufacturer that makes the tuna and ships it to them, actually, uh, it says tuna and they've tested it directly from the manufacturer. So critical mass to me is, in this case, a mass exodus uh, from Kickstarter to one other platform and Kickstarter capsizes. That is one possible outcome. Another one is that Kickstarter is the underpound gorilla that can adapt and then one of the other two would have to fight it out or maybe both would exist. Uh, but, the, you know, I, I think that GameFound will stick around because of their powerful, you know, camp Awaken Realms campaigns. Like people mm-hmm. will be back for the Awaken Realms campaign. Also, the pledge manager is fantastic on GameFound and they're improving and improving. And so I, you know, and maybe Backerkit launches to relative crickets, you know, because they, you know, I know that if it was like, I don't know, Dust Haven was the next <laughs> campaign, then I'm sure that people would be taking note. But it's like miniatures of Gloomhaven. So it's not meant to be a campaign that raises $20 million. Although maybe they'll, you know, hopefully, I don't know if they're hoping it would be like uh, Kingdom Death Monster or something like that. The question that I wanted to see, get your guys' thoughts on was, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about the organic traffic from Kickstarter. You know, if you look at the Kickstarter homepage, it's got a lot of projects that really aren't very popular with backers as featured projects. And um, in some ways it seems a little as agenda driven as, as anything, but it doesn't to me look like they're really trying to heavily monetize that homepage. Like steam heavily monetizes their homepage. Like they they're selling, they're advertising games that will absolutely sell on steam and are extremely popular. That is personalized. Right. My question to you guys is, do you guys think that the the source of all a lot of the traffic, which allows a new creator that's a very first time creator coming to use a platform like myself for Deliverance, for example, I was a first time creator coming uh, about a year ago, and we raised you know twenty seven hundred backers, three hundred and fourteen thousand um, dollars. I kind of feel like we did that because everybody was familiar with the platform. A lot of the people that were my backers were not first time backers, and we're used to it because other companies got them used to it. Do you think that if other companies kind of made an exodus over to another platform, that Kickstarter's organic traffic would dip severely as a result? Or, or you know, is, is it entirely dependent on other companies sending their email lists and Facebook ads to Kickstarter.com? I, I personally think they're they're still going to keep going. Now they are, I think they're at a critical point right now where they need to make some discussions about where they want to go and how they want to adapt. But I think Kickstarter now is like Google. So it's a verb. 
you know, like, you know, people like I'm going to Google this. Well, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I want to, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to Kickstarter this. I think mm-hmm. it's, in fact, I usually, you know, when I do searches, I use the word Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. I think the brand name is is there. However, though, if they don't do any changes, I think they're going to become the next Craigslist. I mean, Craigslist was like the behemoth back in the days. Everyone went there for classified ads. And of course, the same thing happened. That's what's going on now. Every other platform copied it. You know, you can go on Facebook. They got a version of Marketplace. You go on, you know, other platforms, they have their own version. And Craigslist never changed. I mean, it's still a text-based, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you have to look on your computer. I don't know if you look on your on your mobile phone. I haven't been on it so long. But they, had, they never changed. And... I mean, their idea was that, you know, we just stick to the tried and true and it's going to, we're going to last forever. But now, you know, 10 years later, um, I don't think people, they're not as popular as they were. And I don't think people are going there. I mean, everyone still knows what Craigslist is. OfferUp is a big one I hear about all the time. One of my friends was looking for a car and he didn't go on Craigslist. He used uh, Facebook Marketplace because he's on Facebook and that's, you know, it was right there. So, and, you know, and Craigslist doesn't even try to compete. Like they, I mean, if you want, like, if you, if you're trying to sell something, you want to make sure the page that you're selling on looks great has, you know, really, you can be able to set up really nice photos. You can, you know, make it look nice because you want your item appeasing to sell to others. And they didn't do that. So I think that's where Kickstarter is at right now. They are, they are the, uh, the giant, they are the Goliath. Um, they have the verbiage power, um, the brand name. And right now they'll be king. I think they'll be king for a while. But I think if they don't make any changes now, in the future, they're going to hurt. Alex, I'm curious. Do you find that you ever find yourself just browsing Kickstarter? You go to Kickstarter and just browsing through games? Or do you find yourself only ever going to Kickstarter because you've been directed there through some type of interaction on social media? For me, it's definitely directed. Uh, it's one of the theories I've had about Kickstarter and versus GameFound is when you compare the two and how campaigns have done, generally on GameFound versus Kickstarter, larger campaigns have done just fine. If anything, you, they, they generally outperform. They get the extra marketing. They actually get the focus. I've done a whole video comparing a whole bunch of companies. like their, like a, Pick a company and look at their specific campaigns on both platforms. And so I find Kickstarter, GameFound does a good job of being the same or larger for large campaigns. The smaller the campaign, that's where you see that big gap where GameFound just and perform as well and my my theory that is completely unvalidated untested and with nothing else except an opinion to back it up is i think that drive-by traffic is present but not huge so when you're talking about drive-by traffic if you're talking if you're saying drive-by traffic is going to get you an extra you know 150 backers well if you're talking about a campaign that has 500 backers total that's a huge difference if you're talking about a campaign that has 3,000 backers it's less noticeable so I think that the I think drive-by traffic is absolutely a thing, but especially in the board game community, I think there's a lot more referral from a million other sources, from Board Game Geek, from content creators, uh, from the Facebook ads, the lead generation, all that stuff. I, I don't actually know anyone myself who just browses Kickstarter and finds things. Uh, not that much, at least. Maybe when it shows up in the sidebar and recommended projects, maybe a little tempted there. But yeah, I think that Kickstarter does a really good job bringing people from project to project. Their recommendations. Let's say after you back something, it always shows you other things. Your friend, even your friends list, it tells you when a friend has backed something in email yep. notifications. So that's really useful. Yeah, I think that's very smart. And and uh, we we did this thing when we marketed Skyrim on GameFound. We integrated the Pixel, and GameFound allows us to integrate Facebook Pixel, whereas Kickstarter does not. And when we integrated with uh, GameFound, we were sending ads, the campaign launched, it did really well. And we were getting like 90 return on ad spend, $90 return for $1 spent. 
we're like, wow, this is incredible. We're looking so good to our client right now. And then we kind of realized like, oh shoot, GameFound is recording everything that person does. So they back Skyrim and then they go back, whatever, they late pledge for ISS Vanguard. Mm-hmm. That counts toward the Facebook pixel that we have integrated. Yeah. So that's certain, not good. <laughs> yeah. So we found that, you know, we're making, we make, quite a lot of money for a platform when we send traffic there but it's not necessarily all you know the the creator benefits but the platform benefits massively yep and that's just general attribution marketing in general everyone's calling a piece of the pie and they all want to take claim for it so it gets harder and harder to see what's what's actually going on what's the reason yeah i can see why back kid wants to have a crowdfunding space because people are literally paying to bring people to your website and to back products, no matter what they back, you're getting a piece of the pie. So it makes sense for a company to venture in that space. I'm curious what they're going to do as well, just from an interface standpoint. One of the things that GameFound did well, but also not well, is a lot of people have said as a, I think some people said as a con, but I think it's a pro, is that GameFound doesn't even feel that different. I'm like, good. It shouldn't feel that different. That's the fastest way to scare people off of what this is. I think one of the reasons Game on Tabletop has not done very well is it doesn't feel like it's a crowdfunding platform. It feels like it's a totally different experience. It feels more like a pledge manager. Uh, versus when you go to GameFound, versus you go to Kickstarter, there's enough overlap in the user experience that it's not that crazy for you to jump from one to the other. Get those small little tweaks, those small little quality of life, that sidebar, different pop-ups, different ways things are done, but it feels like a Kickstarter page. And I'm curious what Backkit's approach to that is going to be. The first thing, like, I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what it actually does because if it doesn't feel like you're crowdfunding, I think it will hurt them. Backkit has a couple of great things going for it. I think that they're going to have big projects that headline, you know, a launch. They're probably going to soft launch with a, a long period of time in between when a, you know, any random creator can use their platform. I think that they'll look for, uh, to establish kind of a proof of concept first and get people used to the platform. One thing I think that Backerkit does that where they kind of have a leg up even on GameFound, aside from the fact, well, I guess I I don't want to discount this, but they have a much larger customer database than than GameFound did. They had about 350,000 users and Backerkit has millions in many, many spaces beyond just board games. I think that, you know, I would wager to say people at Backerkit are well aware of games and that's where they led their announcement with games, right? They're, they're launching a crowdfunding platform, you know, Cephalo Fair Games is on board. And I think that they, they recognize where the, um, you know, the prime market share is. But one thing that they have beyond others, and I haven't really heard this talked about before, is that when you advertise with Backerkit, they advertise on their own platform, meaning in Facebook ads, they advertise through Facebook and they um, have various pages that they, they promote these, um, you know, these ads through and that don't say backer kit, but they don't do it on your own. And actually that's one of the big differences between us as a marketing company versus backer kit is that we actually use our clients accounts to do the marketing. So marketing for, you know, whatever deliverance is going to come from low end games versus, uh, you know, crowdfunding nerds as a, as a, an organization, but Backerkit has marketed for years under the, these various, um, uh, pages that are kind of like agnostic names. Um, but they, they have massive numbers of data points in Facebook ads that they can leverage. 
And I think that that's a huge, huge leg up over everybody else. We can leverage those too. So I think it's more so the email list that's their biggest leverage. Yeah. What do, what do you guys think? Uh, predictions. Do you guys think that uh, two are going to be left? Do you think all three are going to exist? Let's say five years from now, do you think more competitors are going to come in? Do you think it's going to shrink? Um, who's going to be the dominant force in games? it's a hard thing to say without seeing it the actual platform in action which is the problem because i'm going with my initial instinct versus the fact that other companies who i do not think are unintelligent are are clearly back in this uh, i think three years from now five years from now i think all three exist i i just i think there's too many companies that are investing too heavily into back kit that they must be seeing something they must be i don't see a way around it how much do they exist to what extent that part i'm less certain on i think GameFound has been making enough dominant strides and that does does well enough that unless back kit has a smashing success out the door i think if anything it'll just convince other people to go to GameFound. you're right we should leave kickstarter because all these companies want to leave kickstarter but GameFound's the right choice because Kick didn't do that well. So if anything, this can actually end up being a boon for Kick for GameFound if they don't have smashing successes, if they don't manage to convert everyone, if they don't have a platform that's easy to use. Anything that fails for Backkit, I think, works out well for GameFound. I, I think all three exist, though. Kickstarter has too many other other areas around, too many other, like, I mean, sure, games are one of the biggest categories, but they have other categories going on, and Backkit, GameFound's not really touching those other categories. Backkit seems like it wants to, but we won't know until we see. So five years from now, Kickstarter's going strong, GameFound's doing, going strong and is the dominant force for games, and Backkit still exists, and people still run projects on, but less so. This is a meaningless prediction until I see their actual platform, but that's what I'll say now. All right. I'm a- I'm gonna have to agree with that, hundred um, percent. That's a cop out, but okay. No, 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 no. Because um, like, like, like Alex was saying, we don't know how Backkit's gonna. They just announced it, but we don't really know how their platform is actually gonna work. When I, I used to work for uh, Target back in the good old days, and of course they're number two to Walmart. And I used to always say, because all you'd see all the stuff in the news about Walmart and people suing Walmart. I'm like, hi, it's so great to be number two because you're out of the you're, you're enough out of the spotlight where you're out of the trouble. But you're still raking in all the money, and I think that's the same thing. Like 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 Alex said about GameFound. I mean, literally, I think they've established themselves. They have the right. They're 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 self publishing as well, so they have you know they can rely they can rely on themselves if there are some harder times. Uh, whereas BackerKit, I think BackerKit will still be around. It, it's gonna it, it, there's there'll be a critical point for BackerKit where if this doesn't do very well, they may collapse their own company. But I think there's enough people on BackerKit using it for its original purpose that it will will stick around. And then, like I said, eventually we'll have all these other people. In fact, in a, in a previous podcast, I think I briefly mentioned like self-hosting, people self-hosting their own crowdfunding. Where they actually do the crowdfunding on their own platform, on their own website and stuff like that. I think that's going to become very big too in the future as well. Like Hasbro did for HeroQuest. Yeah. yeah. I know Amazon tried it and they got rid of it, so it must have not worked out for Amazon. But um, yeah, I think everyone, I think the next thing is maybe, maybe crowdfunding nerds should uh, build a, uh, a, 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 their own uh, self-hosted platform that you just install on your website. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's our secret announcement. There we go. <laughs> We're Coming soon. Too. I think Coming my, 2023. my, my metaphorical chips are going to be pushed into towards game found. I think they're going to come up on top. One reason it's just personally, I find it the easiest to work with at the moment in terms of marketing because of the referral links. Even when it comes to the pledge manager, you can incorporate a pixel into BackerKit currently, but you just get far clearer data from a referral link and knowing how much money is actually being generated from those ads helps you make better decisions. So I think that's, and, and this BackerKit integrates something like that to their system, which they very well might do with this crowdfunding development. I think that GameFound is trade ground. I think they've jumped on this before BackerKit, and I think 
they're too far ahead in the race for Bracket Kid to, to come up, but I'm open to being wrong. And if I am wrong, it would be great because I think having some healthy competition between all the platforms is good. But I do think that they might be too far ahead. I think if this came out around the same time as GameFound, then it might have a better chance. But uh, that's just my, my two cents. So the big variable to me is what the... Right now there's no... Or maybe the, the CEO is still uh, in like interim CEO or something like that right now for Kickstarter. But I would say the big variable to me is what the new CEO, whenever they come in, how they're going to treat their games category because that's i think what everybody's eye will be on and what will be the final nail in the coffin or you know pulling one of the nails out of the coffin as it were right you i think that you they could make a lot of good ground with a change in leadership and a, and a change in direction i think that people could potentially latch onto that person and believe in that person's uh uh, mission, and I, I really think that you know you've got a lot of big creators that we've been talking about that you know are featured on GameFound or you know Backerkit, but I think that the real money is in the small creator, and if we can see you know ten to one hundred thousand dollar campaigns on you know successfully fund and overfund on Kickstarter, that's where everybody is going to want to continue to go and it's going to be the the platform that you know right now it's like the safety blanket like for me if i were to go back to kickstarter with a another deliverance um you know expansion or something i would feel pretty confident that it would fund well because my first one did but if i moved to gamefound now there are new variables like what if a lot of organic traffic on kickstarter or you know let, let's say a lot of uh, directed traffic, um, which still exists on Kickstarter, is was responsible for half of my funding. I, I don't want to miss out on that, you know. And so there's that little bit of unknown. So I think it's Kickstarter's game to lose, even still. I think that the uh, major adoption by first-time creators is where the true battle is. But I think that it's won in the, you know, let's say if Backerkit or GameFound, let's say if Cephalofair Games you know, launched a game on Backerkit, but then launches their next major game on GameFound, then it's every reviewer, everybody looking is going to latch onto that and say, oh my goodness, Backerkit is falling or or whatever, right? And so I I, I think that GameFound will stick around. Um, Backerkit has some serious connections, but I tend to think they're going to take third place. We could all be wrong. A new platform could come up and rise above them all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, at this point, I don't know. Like one of the one of the names I was looking for that I was very intrigued by is Come On was not listed on the name of names that because I know that I started using Backkit and I was looking for that name because if anyone wants to do their own thing, I could see them wanting to. I mean, they they I believe they are the most funded board game company on Kickstarter. Period. If mm -hmm. anyone has an incentive to say we're the ones to benefit, it might be them. Uh, but but who knows? Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.